We're in James chapter 5 this morning. James chapter 5. This week, I found myself grumbling and complaining. This time, it wasn't out loud. Sometimes it is. This time, it was more to myself. Some things weren't going my way with some people according to my time frame in peoples and situations uh, that I think they could have, should have. And I could even give examples from a few different arenas of my life. So I'm wondering if maybe I had a grumbling spirit instead of just something not being all that convenient to me. Um, Anybody else want to give a testimony of some grumbling this week? (laughs) It's kind of negative, isn't it? And it affects us until the Lord deals with it and then we acknowledge it and confess it and repent of it. One of the reasons I find myself grumbling Um, I have discerned is because I get things out of perspective. I forget that God is in control, that he has a time frame, that he's working in other people's lives. And I'm guessing if that's the case for me, that that would be the case for all of us that are here as well. I start thinking sometimes about the temporal things and how they're more important or what's going on during this day at two o'clock and it should go this way. And it didn't. And I grumble and there's even a tendency to think, well, if we, if, we do it, if we don't do it out loud, then it's okay. Well, that's probably better. That gets you up to like about a D minus. But if we're grumbling to ourselves before the Lord, we're still failing as well. Neither one, neither one is acceptable. In the early verses of James 5, there's a very strong word against professing rich whose lives weren't demonstrating a genuine conversion to Christ. Um, James emphasizes over and over and over that it's not what a person says, but what their life demonstrates that goes along with what their confession is with their mouth. And I think I mentioned this. I've done it before. It was Makanchi. Um, it marked me. Um, there is a man by the name of Del Tackett who created the Truth Project maybe 12, 15 years ago. And Del Tackett said, if I really believed what I say I believe, would I really do what I'm doing? And that's a pretty good quote there. If I really believed what I say I believe, would I really do what I'm doing? Someone else said something along the same lines this way. They said, your talk talks and your walk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. And it's the idea of who I am is really what I am doing, not just what I say. And we we get so focused on saying things the right way and using the right words, and that's not bad unless it doesn't line up with my heart and my life. And then what happens is I begin to be fooling myself because the demonstration of my life isn't what it should be. James moves from an extremely strong rebuke to the rich who professed Christ but didn't demonstrate it to an encouraging word to believers about how to walk through life's difficulties. He's speaking specifically to his brothers that are persecuted and wrongfully treated And he offers some practical helps, four actually, that we're going to find. On a wider scale, though, these practical helps can help all of us as we walk through life's difficulties, no matter what they are, so that I don't find myself grumbling even when things don't go my way. Um, And so I want us to look at these helps. Why don't we read James chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. This is what it says. Be patient, therefore, brothers 
until the coming of the Lord. See how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it reaches the earth and the latter rains? You also be, until it receives the early and the latter rains? You also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. You have heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. There's four helps in this little passage that James directed to those that were being persecuted by their rich, confessing, yet not possessing fellow Hebrews, um, and, he, and he gives them some helps. The first help is this, how to get through life's difficulties is to remember my Lord is coming back. He says, he says, be patient therefore brothers until the coming of the Lord. Remember that my Lord is coming back. What I'm going through right now, this week, last week, this month, whenever it might be, is temporary and my Lord is going to come back and going to receive me. And that should help me adjust my attitudes and my grumbling. Remember, the Lord is coming back. Be patient for James's readers was an exhortation in the midst of when professing unrighteous rich people mistreated them unjustfully and untruthfully. Be patient until the coming of the Lord. Until the coming of the Lord. Be patient. Anticipate. Look forward to. Be motivated by the coming of the Lord. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, listen to this. I know we know it. I will come again and receive you to myself. Put the emphasis on those things. It isn't just that he's receiving anybody, everybody. He's receiving all that follow him. He is going to receive Jerry unto himself, you unto himself. And James says, let that be a motivator to straighten up your attitude and quit your grumbling. Remember that the coming of the Lord is at hand. The angel said to the men in Galilee in Acts chapter 1, Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will soon come in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. And James uses it as the first and primary motivator of us walking with an attitude that's glorifying to God and straightening ourselves up when we need to straighten ourselves up. Do not allow Jesus' second coming to be seldom thought about, cold or distant, or I'm ignorant about it, or just impersonal and just cold doctrine. Remember it as a personal and intimate event. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That's our Lord who's going to do that. Like Jesus was was when he allowed, like Jesus was personal and intimate when he allowed uh, 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 Thomas to see him and touch him. All of the others believed. You know the story, likely. And Thomas said, if I don't see him, if I don't touch him, I will not believe. And Jesus, in his compassionate, kind, merciful, caring heart, 
made an opportunity for Thomas to see him. Reach your finger here, he said, and look at my hands. Reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. And that would be you and I. Our Lord is coming again, and it should be an enormous motivator for us to have an attitude and a walk that's pleasing to our Lord, whether I speak it out loud or whether I speak it to myself, because it's just as negative when I speak it to myself. I'm just the only one being affected, I think, because when I speak it to myself, then my attitude begins to come out in the lives of others that I'm encountering as well. So you might not have spoken it, but they're affected by it as well. Jesus will come again, and he will receive you as a follower of Jesus Christ to himself. The example of a patient farmer is given. Think about the farmer and how he patiently waits for the fruit of his labor from the work that he's done. He does his work. He prepares the ground. He plants the seed, and then he waits patiently for the rains, something that's out of his control. So it isn't just the things that are within my control that cause me to not grumble or to have a right attitude. something that's out of his control But he patiently waits in order to enjoy the fruit of his labor. James says in verse 8, chapter 5, You also be patient, persevere, wait patiently like the farmer. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. The first time he mentioned the coming of the Lord, he said, Wait until the coming of the Lord. Now he says the coming of the Lord is at hand. In chapter 9, there's a reference to the Lord coming again, and he says the judge is standing at the door. And so he gets closer and closer and closer. First, it's an announcement. It's at hand, and he's standing at the door. So live in light of that. In light of that, establish or strengthen your heart to establish, to set a specific direction and be resolved to pursue it. When the thought comes this week, and it will, When the thought comes this week for Jerry to grumble, I'm going to establish my heart and say, I will not grumble because I know whose I am in the Lord and I know that my Lord is at the door and he doesn't want me to grumble and he wants me to be pleasing to him. So the thought that comes my way isn't sin. It's what I choose to do with that thought, whether it becomes engaged sin or not. And when I engage it, then I need to confess it. Listen to what 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 says. May the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do, so that he may establish your hearts. So James tells us you establish your heart, and then, and then we're told by Paul in, Thess- in Thessalonians that the Lord will establish our heart as well, so that he may establish your heart blameless in holiness before our God and Father. Listen to what he adds in there also, at the coming of our Lord. And so that coming of the Lord is there by motivation again for Jesus, of Jesus Christ for all of his saints. Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23 says, Keep or guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. So when I give in to grumbling and complaining and be downcast, I'm not guarding my heart. I'm telling my heart it's okay to do that. And then it just grows and grows. And fortunately, the Spirit of God who indwells a believer brings conviction and brings us to the place of being broken for that. There's confession, there's cleansing, there's reestablishment of, of, spiritual, of the spiritual dynamic. But we don't have to go there. Establish your heart. Be patient. Yesterday... I got a text from one of us. It was about an interview between Jimmy Evans and Max Lucado at the Second Coming of Christ. 
about the second coming of Christ. And in this interview, Max Lucado explains why he changed after decades of influence and decades of believing, of not believing in a literal Jesus coming and reigning on this earth for a thousand years. It's called an all-millennial position, if you're inclined to understand that. He changed from that to believing that Scripture teaches that Jesus will come a second time and reign for a thousand years, a premillennial view, and he gives six reasons why. And I, and I knew that I was going to be talking about the second coming of Christ, and usually on a Saturday I wouldn't listen to a 45-minute, hour-long message because I already have what I want in my mind. But this was so impactful that I want to be able to, to, uh, to pass it on to you as well. But it's one of those, it's one of those links that has backslashes and question marks and periods and letters. And if you tried to copy it, you wouldn't. And who knows where you'd land in this world. And so if you'll text me, I'll copy it and paste it and send it to you. I would recommend it to every single one of us that are here. Uh, Max Lucado gives a very clear presentation of why he stopped believing what he believed and began to believe that Jesus will come and reign on this earth for a thousand years, as well as how that affects all of the other things that he that, that uh, Scripture speak, speaks about for end times as well. You, you text me if you'd like to have that. One of the helps James offers to endure present difficulties is to look forward to Jesus' second coming. Another help is the reminder that God will judge the unrighteous activities of believers who are in the body of Christ at a Bema seat. Yes, Jesus died on the cross and my sin is forgiven. I have position of family in the, in the body of Christ. I'm part of God's family. But for the deeds that are done in the body, the complaining that Jerry did last week is a deed done in the body, or you, or other things that we do as well. And what, what James says is he helps, his, he helps his readers remember, a help is remembering that they will be judged for the unrighteous deeds that they do in the body of Christ. It's called the Bema Seat. We find it over in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. Do not grumble against one another out loud or silently. I added that, by the way. Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. So now he brings it even a little bit closer. Should or when you find yourself violating this by grumbling, don't justify your godless grumbling. Don't justify your godless grumbling by saying this person really is that way. Maybe they are. That has nothing to do with you and your heart. They might be that way. Don't justify godless grumbling. Correct it. Learn to hold your tongue. You should tell yourself what to think instead of just following the thoughts that come to your mind. Repent when necessary. Should, should it be necessary, right the wrong. Remember what James chapter 1 says, be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And James motivates his readers who are genuine followers from persecutors who are rich, say they're followers but aren't living the life, and says, remember that you're going to be judged for the deeds that you do in the body. Not only is Jesus going to come again, you remember that and let it motivate you, but remember you will stand before God, not are you in the family, are you not, not are you forgiven or are you not, but to give an account for deeds that are done in the body. So I began this morning with a truthful illustration of me grumbling last week. Maybe it was last month. Was it last month? I was just kidding. So does that mean I'll give an account for that at the Bema seat of Christ when the deeds done will be judged? Will you give an account for it when you fall into grumbling or other sins against others? Not if there's an acknowledgement 
and a confession and a repentance. He is faithful and just, John tells us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, but don't be fooled because 1 Corinthians 3, I believe it is, um, says that there are gonna be many activities that are like wood, hay, and stubble that are just gonna be burned up. Not gonna have any value at all because of how we did what we did or the attitude that we had as we did them. The phrase, the judge is standing at the door, speaks to the shortness of time before this happens. Just because it doesn't happen quickly in our minds doesn't mean that it won't happen. Be careful not to allow God's patience to discourage your anticipation. Jesus will come again and receive you unto himself. Don't, be, don't, don't allow date setters to cause you to cast aside your expectation or the reality of Jesus will come again and receive me unto himself. There are always going to be people that speak things that are not truth or sprinkled with a little bit of truth. We need to be careful that we filter out what isn't any good and keep it according to what's in the word of God. It also seems that James is showing his readers that a grumbling believer demonstrates that their heart might not be as established as they think. They might be saying who they are by what they know in their mind, but it hasn't filtered down to their heart. And so they might not be as firmly established as what they think. It's not what we say, but what we demonstrate. I might think myself established, but my grumbling tongue shows otherwise. I might have the head knowledge of being established, but my heart demonstrates uh, what, my, what my heart demonstrates is showing otherwise. The third example or help that James gives is the example of those who walked before us. Old Testament prophets are mentioned in general, then Job zeroes in on, uh, on the example of Job. Look at verse 10. As an example of suffering and patience, brothers, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we consider those blessed who remained steadfast. Not all of them. We consider them especially blessed, those who remained steadfast. I mean, in your mind, don't you, don't you envision an Isaiah or a Daniel or, or someone who was greatly persecuted for the Lord as more established than a Jonah who was just kind of a whining crier? And yet Jonah made it because of the goodness and the grace of God. Um, and so he says that we, we especially consider those blessed who remain steadfast. You've heard it. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job. My mind, when I read that, went back to Hebrews 11. And I, and I read this occasionally because I think it's just so powerful. And this is what he says. Time fails me to speak of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection, some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Boy, I really esteem them as established in the Lord. Others suffered mockings and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. I wonder if they grumbled. In my mind, the temptation was probably there, and yet, hopefully, they just went to, I know God is in control, and he is king of kings and lord of lords, and my God is my creator, 
and I'm here to serve him in whatever manner or way he wants me to serve him? And who am I to complain if I'm wandering about in a desert in a goat skin or a sheepskin? If that's what he has for me, if that's what brings glory to God, for, for, then that's what I ought to be willing to do. And it isn't all about just having an easy life and a nice retirement and our kids are all doing wonderful and we got education and we have a nice job. That's, that's Americanism. All of these, though condemned through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Those who are considered blessed are the ones who remain steadfast. They endured. They persevered with patience, whatever it was that God brought their way. They bore up. They have fortitude. If they became discouraged, uh, they, they didn't justify their feelings and their thoughts. Um, if they became discouraged, they, they justified why they were going through what they were going through through the word of God, the truth of it. To be blessed does not mean a life without challenge. It does not mean a life without difficulties. Actually, it's quite the contrary. Jesus would say, if they persecuted me, they should persecute you. If we'd have zero persecution, it might be that we're not standing very strong for our Lord. I wonder sometimes if a life without difficulties might mean the individual isn't doing much for the Lord. The help of remembering the soon coming of the Lord, James gives. The help of the judge standing at the door who will judge my unrighteous activities motivates me. Remembering examples of others who have gone before me is good. The last help that he gives is to remember that God's purpose is filled with compassion and mercy. God's purpose is filled with compassion and mercy. Those about whom I grumble might not have compassion and mercy, but my God for whom I should live is filled with compassion and mercy and he has purpose. He says, you heard of the steadfastness of Job and have seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and merciful. So I went to the last chapter, the last verses of the book of Job, and this is what it says. The Lord restored Job's losses when he prayed for his friends. Indeed, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. A little bit later, it says, the Lord blessed the latter days of Job more than his beginning, for he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, 1,000 female donkeys. He also had seven sons and three daughters. And then finally, in verse 16, it says, after this, Job lived 140 years and saw his children and grandchildren for four generations. For four generations. So the Lord has purpose, even though we might not understand it. And we might pray and ask, could you show me what that purpose is? And maybe sometimes we get a hint, probably never all of it. But he's not obligated to show me why I'm going through what it is that I'm going through. Or why some of those Old Testament prophets went through what they were going through. He has purpose, though. Scripture tells us that. We see that as, as, as a testimony of what he's done since creation. But he's also filled with compassion and mercy. He's filled with compassion and mercy. It's as though James is writing to his readers, your end will be like Job's ending. Maybe not the exact same one, but it's almost like James is trying to say, listen, this God of purpose is going is to envelop you with compassion and mercy as well. God has a purpose. He is compassionate. He is merciful. You might not get the insight to understand why you're going through what you're going through, but know this, God has purpose. God is compassionate to those who follow him. He is merciful. Live with this spiritual wisdom. I find it in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 where he says this, 1 Corinthians chapter 
2, verse 7. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden mystery which God ordained before the ages for, for our glory, before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for they, had they known they would not have crucified our Lord. But, but as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. He has purpose. It's filled with compassion. It's filled with mercy for those who love him. Let that motivate you when you're going through a difficulty in life, whether it's your health, whether it's somebody, whether it's a job situation, whether it's an unfulfilled desire. Let that motivate you. God is full of purpose and compassion and mercy. Eye has not seen, ear has not heard. They haven't even entered into my thoughts the things that God has for me. That is incredible. That's a motivator. Jesus is coming again for me. There's a judge that's going to judge me for the deeds done in my body. I have Old Testament examples that give me a a fine example of being established in their heart. And God has things for me that I haven't even begun to think of. Scripture didn't even let us know about them yet. I could get excited about that. Quoting from Isaiah 64 and a few verses later in 65 we find this. For behold... I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. So I'm thinking that the one that was sawn in two, or those that walked about in the deserts in goatskins and sheepskins, or those that didn't receive the promise, were looking forward to this new heaven and new earth that this purposeful, compassionate, merciful God has in mind. Just like Job's ending for God, God was, uh, just like Job's ending, God's uh, will was fulfilled, uh, filled with compassion and mercy. That will be God's treatment of his faithful followers as well. Some might get some of it in this life. Some people do. Job got a little bit for a little while. All of his faithful followers, followers will receive compassion and mercy forever and ever and ever. And we could just go on forever and ever and ever. Difficulties will be a part of life's journey. Oftentimes inflicted on us by others. Jesus, Paul, Peter, other biblical writers all agree to that. Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation. Paul warned the new Christians in Galatia, through many tribulations we must enter into the kingdom of God. To the Romans of the certainty of suffering in this world. He told Timothy to join me in the the sufferings for Christ. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will, will be persecuted. Peter wrote, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeals or trials that are among you which come upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you, but to the, to the degree that you share uh, suffer, the sufferings of Christ. And James gives us four helps every time we enter into a situation that is difficult to help me be motivated to live for my Lord. Jesus is coming again to receive me because of his grace and mercy. I'm motivated by recognizing that one day for the deeds done in the body, I need to be careful with my tongue and my thoughts and where my feet take me and what I consume because there's a judgment that's coming. I have others from the Old Testament and new as well. I'm sure that today if it were written, he would say, look around you, other examples of other faithful believers and recognizing that they established their hearts and they didn't always get everything like Job got in the end. 
and yet it can motivate me to recognize I'm walking with somebody else. And then the realization as well, the help of remembering that God's purpose is filled with compassion and mercy. I don't know what you're going through this morning. All of us, all different kinds of walks in life go through different things. And I'm guessing that someone would say, yep, I've got a tribulation. I've got a difficulty. I've got something I'm walking through that is a real challenge for me. May these four truths given by James comfort your heart and motivate you to stay firm on the path of serving the Lord. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we bow before you. Thank you that you alert us of difficulties in life. And then you even equip us in how to encounter those difficulties for your glory. And I pray, Lord, and thank you for the indwelling Holy Spirit who always checks my path, checks the paths of those who have ears to hear you. I thank you for the truth of your word that gives us straight path, tells us where to walk. And I pray, Lord, for the success of that in your believers' lives, that we could learn those lessons soon so that we can walk in your grace and your mercy and your compassion. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.